Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Now you're an expert. That's cool. But now your mind is a fury of possibility. What else could you learn? What if you could fix a sink? And while you learn to fix a sink, you learn to control your tongue. That's not easy. And then, by controlling your tongue, you could learn to control your road rage. Then, by controlling your road rage, you could have more patience with your neighbours who are throwing junk over the fence into your yard. And now, with more patience, what if you could learn how to stop raging at your roommate for leaving dishes in the sink? And, and then, with less rage, what if that girl who said, nope, was now like, maybe? That would be really cool. Then, what if you learned to stop drowning your problems in Amazon purchases and started living on a budget? And what if, with less stress, better relationships, more patience, and a control on your tongue, you begin to see that God is actually real? Or, you could just learn to fix a sink. This is a letter about your life from a man named James. It's the whole truth from the half-brother of Jesus. This is your masterclass. All right, all right, let's celebrate being at church together today. Can we celebrate that? We never want to take it for granted that we get to be together, that we get to gather. What a gift it is to see one another. So, hey, if you're brand new to ACF, my name is Brian, and I'm just thrilled that you're here. If a friend invited you, or if maybe you're just looking for a church home, uh, we're just glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, this is kind of a transitionary season here in Alaska. A lot of people coming and going, and, and I really hope that uh, after the service, you stick around and head over to our newcomer table and, and just find out some more information about what we're about. And our, our vision as a church family, it's really going to help you out. So uh, the next thing is, before I get into my message here today, it is Baptism Sunday. So we're always excited about that. We've already baptized seven people and uh, just love seeing people go, go public with their faith. And, and I always get questions about baptism. And, and here's what we do. Every single month, we fill up the tank and we open up this opportunity for you to take your next step uh, with Jesus. And, and, and as we read through the book of Acts, and um, we see actually throughout the, the biblical narrative, we see that baptism and salvation are, are really connected at the hip. Uh, we see that people uh, in the book of Acts would give their lives to Jesus, and then they would be baptized. That's just how it worked. And, and yet, you know, for us today, a lot of times we kind of separate the two things. We're like, well, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus, but then maybe later I'll do that whole going public of my faith thing. And, and, and so I know there's a lot of maybe mystery about it, and people are maybe like, well, why does God want me to get wet, you know, in the water? Why does this even matter? And the reality is it, it is a symbol uh, it's an ancient symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus. So we know Jesus, he was crucified on a cross. He was resurrected on the third day. And so as we go under the water, it's a representation of our old life is gone. Amen to that, right? The old me is dead. The new me is alive. So as we come up out of the water, it's our a representation of a new resurrection, a new life in Christ Jesus. And so um, that's what baptism is about. Um, this water is just, it's, it's just water. It's not holy water. We always say that. Uh, baptism doesn't save you. It's not going to make God love you more, but it may develop your love for him more. You, so you need to understand that you can leave here and not be baptized and say, well, I'm following Jesus, but, but something about 
taking this step of obedience, I think stirs up our affection for God. And, and people who have been baptized, many of them will say, like, hey, that was the beginning of me making my faith real. And, and, and we've been walking through the book of James, which this, this whole letter from James is all about that very thing. It's all about making your faith real. And, and, and he says over and over again, hey, a faith that works is a faith that's working, you know, a faith that is actually being lived out in practical ways. And so if you've never been baptized, at any point during uh, the message, you can actually go to the table in the lobby, and um, during the, the last couple songs, we're going to baptize anybody that feels like God is asking you to do that. We just kind of open that up, that if you would say, I am a follower of Jesus, that today is your day to do this. It's kind of like a wedding ring, really, like you married people, you got a wedding ring, and, and it tells everybody what? That you're married, right? That, that's kind of important, and and I was thinking about this this week. I actually was doing premarital counseling with a, a couple a while back. And one of the questions I asked him was, do you guys have a wedding ring? Uh, wedding rings. And they were like, oh, yeah, we have wedding rings. And the guy was like, yeah, but I'm not really planning on wearing it. And his fiance was like, time out. Wait, like, I'll stop. Wait, what are we doing? I'm not even sure we should continue. And so it got really awkward in my office because she's like, if you're going to put a ring on this finger, you're going to put a ring on that finger. And so uh, if you don't want to, then that's... So it got really uncomfortable. And he was just like, well, I'm not really a ring guy. And I just don't really want to do that. And I think it's funny. Baptism's kind of like that for people. Like, I just, I don't get in front of people. I don't do stuff like that. But, you know, really, this is a symbol of our commitment to Jesus. And it's a sign that, hey, I, I'm not perfect, so know this, like, you're not going to be perfect. That's, if you're waiting to be perfect to get baptized, you will never get baptized, amen? Like, that's just not going to happen. If you're waiting for, like, the perfect moment, you're like, my, my, my Uncle Jimmy and my second aunt twice removed, everybody needs to be here, like, you know, you might not have the perfect moment. And, and so here's the deal, like, as parents, if you're a parent, you know this, delayed obedience is called disobedience. Let the parents say amen, right? Like when my kids are like, I'll do it later. We're like, no, you do it. You do it now. So I just want you to know, like if God is speaking to you and, and, and if, if you're a follower of Jesus, make today your day. We'd love to help you do that. So just follow whatever the, whatever the spirit says to you. So uh, we've got shorts and t-shirts and everything you might need out there. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to James chapter three. This has been a good series so far. I've been loving this. Uh, it's, been, it's been, I think, in many ways, I, I, one of the most challenging series that we've taught through. Like, this is going to push you. James is trying to kind of challenge this nominal Christianity or this nominal faith. People are like, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet their lives are not transformed in any way. And in chapter 3, I've entitled my message today, Make Wise Choices. Make wise choices. We're going to talk about wisdom here today. And here's what James says in verse 13. He asks a question. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So I've got a daughter, she's 14 year old, years old, and she just got her permit, which is awesome and terrifying. If you've ever been through this process where uh, there is no brake pedal on the passenger side, but you're trying to find one, right, at every stoplight, and, and she's actually a really great driver, uh, but her baseline speed is 50 miles an hour for everything, which, you know, is like too slow for the highway and way too fast for pulling into the garage, um, but I've experienced both. And she's doing really well, and, and she's learning kind of the ins and outs of driving. And, and it's a stressful process, but, but really what's stressing me out more than anything is the day that I give her keys to a car is coming, right? The day that I just, I hand her the keys, and I'm going to say these words to her. Make wise choices, right? Make wise choices. I'm going to hope that at that point, I've invested enough wisdom in my daughter that she's going to drive around this 6,000-pound hunk of metal going 65 miles an hour on the highway, and she's going to make wise choices. I think that the goal is is that we invest that in others, and and honestly, the goal is that we would become wise, right? I mean, do you have that friend that that you can go to them for anything, and they're the first person you ask? If you need advice, you're going to go to this friend, Well, James is going to make a point, like, you can be that person. You can be wise. And that wisdom is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing for you to gather in this life, apart from your relationship with Jesus, is to gather wisdom. There's this guy, King Solomon, in the Bible, and, and if you know his story, you know there was a moment in his life where God looked at him and said, Solomon, what do you want from me? And he thought about it for a minute, and he could have asked for anything, right? And do you remember what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. He said, God, grant me wisdom. And we read that God was pleased with that request. He's like, that's a, that's a good call. It's important to ask for wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13. This is uh, King Solomon speaking. He says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. He's talking about wisdom there. And he says, he said, basically, I could have asked for silver and gold, which... I mean, be honest. If God were like, hey, anything you want, what do you want? How many of you would have been like, could use some gold right now, right? Like, gold's gone up. Could use some money right now. You could take care of my finances. King Solomon's like, no, no, no. What's more valuable than that is wisdom. It's wisdom. And and interestingly enough, in the Bible, wisdom's always referred to as a woman. So just shout out to you ladies, right? Like, And in fact, as I look at my life, all the dumb things that I've ever been doing, there's always been a woman somewhere there trying to talk some sense into me. And so just take that as far as you want to. But wisdom is uh, considered a woman throughout the scriptures, but it's something that we should seek after. Something that we want is wisdom. Now, how do we begin to gain this wisdom? Like, what is the beginning of this journey? And I honestly believe that it begins with how you see your life. At, at, At a macro level, how do you see your existence on earth. Like, why are you here and what is this whole thing all about? That will determine how fervently you actually go after wisdom. And I was reading that uh, uh, the, the, the Franciscan theologian Richard Rohr, he came up with these five things, these five undeniable truths that we all have to accept so that we might be people who mature into wisdom. And I'm going to give them to you fast, but these are really important. So the first is this. Life is hard. Amen to that. Some of you are like, yeah, that's I just had a week right here, Brian, and life is really hard. That one's true. Second one is your life is not about you. As you mature, as you move on in life, you start to realize, wow, okay, this isn't really about me like I thought it was. Number three, you are not in control. That one's true. 
Anybody ever tried to control your life? Found out that that can't happen? Number four, you're not that important. I think that's one that we learn through life. And the last is important. It says this. You are going to die. So there you go. Welcome to church today. You're all going to die, right? So glad I showed up this morning. No, these are really important truths, and they're deeper than you think they are. Like at a surface level, you're like, oh yeah, whatever. Those are, those are things that people start to grow in. No, no, no. When I think of the people who are wise in my life, they embody these things. They don't just say them. They literally live them. And the last one is probably the most important. I mean, you can always tell someone who, who doesn't actually believe that one day they will die, that one day they will leave this earth, because when you know that, you live differently. And as you, as you walk through the Bible, what you start to learn is that your understanding of death should inform the way that you live. That if you have an understanding, a biblical understanding, a true understanding of what death is, that it's coming for you, that we will all stand before God one day and make an account for our lives. And he's going to ask one important question. Did you know Jesus? Like, did you really know him? That is going to identify the way that we live. This is important. Now, maybe you read that and you get depressed at first. I could see that, getting a little depressed and going like, man, just thinking about death, I don't like to think about that. And and being, being gone, but, and maybe you thought to yourself, well, if, if we're all going to die, what, what's the point of wisdom, right? In fact, Jesus talks about this a little bit. You have sort of like a eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die type of perspective, right? Just live it up, get some while you can, but we're all just going to die. What does, what does wisdom matter if that's the case? And in fact, King Solomon, as he grew in life and was moving on in his years, was wrestling with the very same question. He was wrestling with the fact that he had accomplished a lot. He had great wisdom, and so what that great wisdom turned into was great wealth. I mean, he was the richest man in the world, which I was thinking this week, you know, we just, I was watching the news. Uh, Did you guys watch Jeff Bezos get launched into space? That was cool, right? I mean, what a a time to live where you can just like build your own spacecraft and launch your butt into space. That's great. So he's up there floating around. That's, and I was thinking like, what is this guy worth? Does anybody know what Jeff Bezos is worth? What's his net worth? Don't Google it. 178 billion. He is worth 203 billion billion dollars. That's a lot of money, right? Well, according to today's standards, by the American dollar, King Solomon would be worth 2.2 trillion dollars. So talk about somebody that's rich, right? Somebody that's got all this power at his fingertips, who's accomplished like I mean, that's almost, I can't, even, I can't even get it through my mind. It's, it's, it's unthinkable how much he had at his fingertips. And yet he was struggling with the reality of wisdom. And even the fact that he had gained so much wisdom, he realized, like, man, well, well what good is my wisdom? God gave me wisdom. What good is it? And here's what he said as he wrote in Ecclesiastes. For of the wise and of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So this is him wrestling. And, and now when you read that, you might be thinking, well, is he saying wisdom doesn't matter, right? Just, why don't I just go be stupid with my life because we're all just going to go away, right? The, the richest man in the world knows that, but that is not what he's saying. What he's saying is that wisdom only matters if death is not the end. If, if there's something coming, then how you live matters. If there's nothing coming, then just do whatever you want, right? Why does it even matter? 
And so as he worked through all of that, he just came out the end and he's like, man, wisdom is so important, but it's only important if death is not the end, if there's something else coming for us. James 3.13, he continues on, speaking about wisdom. And he asked, he's asked a great question. He says, who is wise in understanding among you? It's a good question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Who's wise in this room? Because if you raise your hand, you're probably not wise, right? So by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The first thing James says is like, so you think you're wise? Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty wise. Yeah, I'd say I know some stuff. I do pretty good with my life. He'd say, show me. Don't tell me. I don't, I don't care if you tell me that you're wise. Now, now, many of us know somebody in our life who thinks they're really wise, but what they have is knowledge, right? They've gained information, right? There, there, there's some letters next to their name. They know a lot of stuff, yet they don't actually live a wise life. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? And, and we got to get this in our heads as Christians because we love knowledge. We love, we love to gain knowledge. We love to grow in knowledge, but acting in wisdom is completely different. You see, knowledge is all about the data in our heads, but wisdom is about the disposition of our hearts. It's a posture towards God and others. It's a way that we live and, and act. It's actually the way that we respond to what is true. That's how you know somebody's wise. You don't just want somebody who has information to tell your kids how to live their life or to, 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 to teach you the word of God, right? Like, you want somebody who's done it, who's living in such a way that it's seen in their lives, right? Now, how do we gain this? Again, how do we move forward in wisdom? Um, I think some of it just comes through life. We, uh, we get humbled by life. Anybody here been humbled by life before? Like, man, I thought I was, I thought I kind of had things together, and then life happened. We, that's the language we learned. Life happened. And when we say life happened, what we're saying is that something came up that we couldn't control, and somehow I was humbled. Uh, sometimes people humble us, don't they? The people in our lives will kind of show us who we are. James is saying, if you are wise, show your works in the meekness of wisdom, in the humility of wisdom. And so sometimes people will humble us like that. In fact, we were out fishing on the Kasilof River and uh, this, this year, a little bit ago, and we're out there. Nobody's catching fish. And this lady's got her dip net out there, and they're all dip netting side by side. Nothing going on, and she, she catches one. She doesn't know what to do. She's never done, done, it, done it before, so she's like moving it around and almost falling in the water. She gets on the beach with the fish, and the guy next to her is like, hey, when you catch a fish, you need to turn your net sideways, pull it down, pull it out, and here's what she said. She says, when you start catching fish, you can tell me what to do with my net. <laughs> Bam, right? Like, and everybody laughs, and he's like, huh, you know. Humbled. Humbles, right? Sometimes people will humble, humble us. Sometimes just, uh, you know, experiencing parenting will humble us. And it's funny how many non-parents have really strong opinions about how to parent your kids. Isn't that amazing? And I get it. We all did it, right? I remember being the, the guy, the single guy in the, in the uh, cereal aisle at Fred Meyer or whatever and, and seeing the kid who's losing his mind and going, I want Cheerios, I want Cheerios. And the parent doesn't know what to do. And, and thinking, like, if you just... Smack that kid, right? Like, he'll, he'll start to listen. And it turns out that it doesn't work that way, right? It turns out, man, you can, you can give people advice, but until you've raised their kids, you don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, you just don't know what people experience. And you can train one kid and think you figured it out. Parents know this, right? You, you did one, and you had one, and you're like, oh, man, we kind of got this parenting thing figured out. Then you had a second and realized now you know nothing about parenting. So parenting will humble you, uh, 
You know, I think, I think for me, uh, a journey, if you don't know kind of my story, we, if we haven't spent any time personally together, it's, it's kind of a miracle that I'm even standing on the stage here today because um, I went through a season where I was really frustrated uh, and angsty about the church, uh, where I was a pastor and uh, I started shooting a lot of shots at the church and was really frustrated with the church in general and um, I was really unhealthy. And I kind of I thought I figured it out. Like, if you just did this, the church would be perfect. Ever met anybody like that? They got all the answers. Now, they've never, they've never done it before. They've never seen it done before, but they've got all kinds of ideas, kind of knowledge about how to fix the problems that are the church. And I went away and took a little time off, and it was one of the few times in my life I can say God spoke almost audibly to me. And he said this. He said, you know, you are so in love with your image of who the church should be, that you've forgotten how to love her for who she is. And anybody who's married know that, knows that that's not going to work out in any relationship. If you're in love with who somebody will be, but not in, in love with them for where they are right now, that's just not love. And so I got humbled by God, humbled by the journey that I was on. James keeps going as he's talking about humility, James 3, 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James is going, okay, wisdom is really important. Who here thinks you're wise? And then he's saying, okay, so now I'm going to give you some attributes that are not compatible with wisdom. So if you have this, you don't have this. Does that make sense? He says, if you have bitter jealousy, then you don't have wisdom. Jealous people are not wise. Because wisdom teaches you not to want what other people have, but to want what God gives you. It teaches you to embrace the place of life that you're in, to embrace the moment, to embrace whatever God has given you as your divine calling. Like, this is where God has you right now. That's what wisdom teaches you. So if you're jealous, if you can't celebrate anybody else's victory, if you find yourself undermining other people so that they don't win and make you feel bad, if you're that kind of person, then it means you've got some growing to do when it comes to wisdom. And then he talks about selfish ambition, which is an interesting term. What does selfish ambition mean? Well, the term here was used by the Greeks to describe basically the the, the literal definition of selfish ambition in this text is to have a party spirit. Party spirit. Now, some of you are like, I like to party, right? Like, so does that mean? No, it's not like to like to party. It's, It's like a political party, like a political party spirit. Like, you go through life canvassing the world to promote yourself. Vote for me. Think highly of me. It's all about me. And he says, this is not compatible with wisdom. Wisdom doesn't go through, the, through life thinking things are about you. In fact, Jesus talks about this, right? You want to make yourself great in the kingdom of God, make yourself the least in the kingdom of God. And that's how you will actually become great. See, true wisdom teaches us to live for the good of others not for the good of ourselves primarily. And so, again, he's trying to give you and give us like a way of seeing, am I living wise? Do I I really want wisdom? Because I'll be honest, like as I look at the world, would you say that the world is on a journey toward wisdom? The people people around you are like, you know what I'm pursuing in my life? More wisdom. That the media is teaching you, live wiser, right? Make wise choices. This is not the message. We are not on a wisdom journey. We are on a happiness journey. We're just craving just whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me happy. That's the journey that I'm on, and wise people know that there's something better than that. There's something deeper than that, and that seeking after happiness ultimately will not make you 
happy. It's not going to fulfill you. He says this type of wisdom, in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's an earthly wisdom. So he's going to talk to us about two kinds of wisdom here. This first, he's saying, this earthly wisdom is built on temporary earthly consequences, right? So earthly wisdom is like, what's it going to affect my life now? Like, how's this going to affect my day-to-day? How's this going to affect my, my, my financial situation or, uh, you know, the power that I have, the influence I have? How is this decision going to impact right now and right here? And this, this Greek word for unspiritual is the word suke, which is where we get the word psychology. And so it's literally like a wisdom that's driven by whatever is in your mind. And have you ever made a stupid decision and been like, it, 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 it seemed like it was right at the time, right? I mean, we typically don't do something stupid and be like, and we're not saying, I'm going to do something stupid. We're thinking this is the right thing to do. It makes sense in our minds. He says that's earthly wisdom. It's just like whatever makes sense in the moment. Or we say this, it felt right at the moment, right? And I will tell you, some of the worst advice that I've ever heard or that, that people ever give today is this, follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Well, here's the problem. My mind and my heart are broken. And, and, and they don't lead me to life apart from Jesus. If I'm not submitting my mind and my heart to Jesus, it's going to lead to death in my life and in the people around me. In fact, Genesis 6, 5 I think it speaks to this beautifully. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Right? So if you're like, how evil are we apart from Jesus? You're, it's okay. You're just only evil all the time. That's what it's saying. We're, we're only evil all the time. Like, we think that we're doing good things. This kind of blows apart the whole mentality of, like, people at their core are just, we're all just good people. And I think if we're honest and we look at the world, we go, you know what? You put a bunch of people in a room together in a bad situation, in general, we're going to tear each other apart. We're going to do whatever's good for us. Whatever's going to take care of me. In general, that's how we tend to live, which only more than ever identifies how much grace we need and how good Jesus is to love us in that place in this earthly wisdom, it looks normal to the world around us. It's the normal life. So what that brings up to me is like, if you're living by earthly wisdom, then your life is going to look completely reasonable to your non-believing friends. So, so, so earthly wisdom leads us down a certain road, making certain decisions that make sense on earth, right? Makes sense to the world. And so if your life looks completely reasonable to your non-believing friends, you should ask some questions. You should ask, am I living by the right kind of wisdom? What are the priorities of earthly wisdom? I think a few. I think financial stability is a major priority for earthly wisdom. In other words, we, the kind of wisdom we, we would give you from earthly wisdom is don't do anything that will shake you up financially. Just make whatever decision is going to make you most, most stable in this world financially, and that, that's the decision you should make. Uh, getting more power is a motivation of earthly wisdom, like whatever's going to get you ahead, just do that. Yeah. However you can move forward in the business, move ahead of people and gain power over people, that's a major priority. 
Physical safety is a major priority for earthly wisdom. And this, honestly, especially as Americans, like we obsess about physical safety. You know, like we really do anything to, we just want to wrap our kids in bubble wrap, right? Just like, don't let them skin their knees. Don't let anybody get hurt. And and the advice, even Christians, I hear Christians sometimes say this, like, hey, yeah, follow Jesus, but don't do anything unsafe. Like, I would never want you to put yourself or your family at any risk. And a lot of this comes from the fact that we have never, as Christians in America, had to, had to really have our lives threatened for following Jesus. And, and our brothers and sisters on a global scale have experienced this and, and are, are experiencing it right now. Like, their lives are being risked for gathering for church together. I mean, they're, they're putting everything on the line. And so I think we idolize personal, uh, physical safety. Personal freedom is a major priority of uh, earthly wisdom. Whatever's just going to give you more ability to do whatever you want, right? I know a lot of people, that's how they're designing their life. They're going to they're get this promotion and get this job and, and, and buy these stocks and get these, these people working for you and, and open this branch and do these things so that everything expands so that at some point I don't have to do anything. So, so, and that sounds like, man, sweet, do that. Whatever you can do to get more personal freedom, that's what you do. Future planning Whatever's for the future, and I'm not saying beyond this life, but just whatever's going to set you up for retirement, just do that. That's, and again, you need, you need to understand, at the root, these aren't all bad things, right? I, t- I try to make wise financial d- decisions, right? Try, try to, I try to make good choices when it comes to my physical safety. I try not to just be ridiculous. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want anybody else to get hurt. But there is a collision between this other kind of wisdom and earthly wisdom, and something is going to win out. I would say the motivation of earthly wisdom ultimately is ourselves. It's us. It's what's going to get me ahead. And he says it's actually demonic, which seems overdramatic, doesn't it? Like, this just seems like the way the world lives. Well, this is, this is demonic. From the very beginning of time, Satan has been trying to convince us that your life should be centered around you. That your life is all about becoming God, not worshiping God. And so this is earthly wisdom. And, and James is like, it's actually demonic. It's, it's not helping anyone. But praise God, there's another kind of wisdom, okay? So you're like, is there a better way? Yes, there is a better way. And, uh, and it's called heavenly wisdom. It's a different, it's a totally different type of wisdom. It's a, it's a wisdom built on eternal consequences, not temporary consequences, not just what's going on right now. In this heavenly wisdom, what it's going to lead you to do is, is live a life that doesn't make sense to the world. And, and so you're going to make choices sometimes that people are going to be scratching their heads about. Like, what are you doing, right? Why are you doing that? This doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective. There, I ran into a, a couple last week, and we were just talking about what God's doing in our lives. And, and she was like, hey, I'm a real estate agent, and I've got this young guy. I was trying to find him a place to live, and we couldn't find a place to live locally. They're just, you know, housing market's crazy right now. And so I got together with my husband, and I was like, well, I feel like God is saying, let's just have him move in with us for a little bit. And they were like, okay. We feel like, feel like God is leading us to have somebody we've never met before move into our home. Can we just agree that if you're not a follower of Jesus, that sounds stupid? But when you follow Jesus and you just sense God's asking you to do something, that it's actually the wisest thing for you to do? This is the irony of heavenly wisdom, is that heavenly wisdom looks like foolishness to the world. 
It looks like foolishness. If you don't look a little foolish to the world around you, then you are not living in heavenly wisdom, this outward-focused wisdom instead of an inward-focused wisdom. You see, the motivation of heavenly wisdom is not self, it's love. So if you're thinking, who do I talk to for wisdom? Find the person that loves well. Find the person that just, man, they care for people well. Don't just look for the person with the most letters next to their name. Look for the person with the most love, the person that cares for others, that lays down their lives. You see, James is going to give us an understanding of what this wisdom is. I want to walk through these pretty quick. He's going to talk about what heavenly wisdom is. And what you're going to see in all of these attributes is what you're going to see is Jesus. If you stick around ACF for long, you're going to hear us talk about Jesus a lot. Jesus is the center of everything we do. And he is the embodiment of wisdom, right? Jesus is wise because he is always loving. And he lives the wisest life. And you're going to see these attributes. And so heavenly wisdom, the first thing is it's pure. It's pure. One thing about Jesus is he was totally pure all the time. His motivations were never mixed. He was never trying to figure out, do I love people right now or don't I? It was always about love. And he says this. He says, I am here to only do the will of my Father. He keeps coming back to this. I'm just here to do the will of my Father. Jesus knew that his days were numbered. Remember those first things? He knew he was going to die. He knew that this life wasn't about him, right? He knew all of those things. And so with those things as a reality in his life, he was completely pure. He didn't have to try to figure out, am I going to follow Jesus today? You and I, we do this. Sometimes we wake up, and I'll admit it, I'll wake up in the morning and be like, am I going to follow Jesus today? Like, am I about this today? But heavenly wisdom is pure. The next thing is, it's peaceable. Peaceable. What does this mean? I think it's the opposite of man's wisdom, which man's wisdom or earthly wisdom leads to competition, right? Because you've got to get ahead. It leads to war. I've seen a lot of wars fought. It leads to all of those things, to tension amongst people, but heavenly wisdom makes us peaceable. Jesus was a man of peace wasn't he? Everywhere he went, bringing peace. We sing about him at Christmas, right? He's the prince of peace, right? Jesus brings peace to the world. And and one thing about Jesus is it's almost like he's unoffendable. Do you notice this? He doesn't seem to sweat the small stuff. Jesus doesn't. He knows the things that matter the most, and and you just don't ever hear about Jesus just kind of like randomly getting his feelings hurt, sulking in the corner, you know? all emo style with his hood over his head, just like, nobody likes me right now. You don't see Jesus do that at all, right? You don't hear like Peter and Andrew are talking and he overhears that they went fishing without him and then Jesus goes and unfollows them on Facebook and then, you know, like you don't hear about, he's just peaceable. He doesn't sweat the stupid small stuff. He doesn't make it a big deal. But he gets really mad at religious people, right? He gets really frustrated when people say they're following Jesus and yet they're really critical of other Christians and of the church. He gets really mad at that. Or they say they're following Jesus, and they they tie up all these legalistic burdens on other people's backs, and yet they won't carry a thing for themselves. So that really ticks Jesus off. But the the typical stuff, he's just very, very unoffendable. The next thing heavenly wisdom is, is gentle. Jesus was gentle. Man, I love the way he just would deal with people that were just broken. And you just sense this gentle spirit. This is not pushy. 
and not over-aggressive? Would you be considered somebody who is gentle? Wise people are gentle. Now, why are they gentle? Because I think wise people realize that their agenda isn't necessarily God's agenda. And they realize that God is always working, even when we're sleeping. And he is moving his, his plan forward no matter what. And that ultimately, nothing that we do can stop what God is doing. And wise people believe that in such a way that when people aren't moving forward the way you want, or, or, or when your situation isn't changing as quickly as you want, I know some of you are praying desperately that God would change your situation. And so what we start to do is get, we get pushy, and we move things around, we start trying to control things, and, and honestly, it's a lack of wisdom. Wisdom says, I'm here right now for a reason. God is going to, he's going to use this moment, whatever it is, I've seen him do it enough times that at this point I actually believe it, and so I can be gentle at the DMV (laughs) at 2 o'clock in the afternoon after you've been there for an hour and a half. I can be gentle with my kid's teacher at the parent-teacher conference. I can be gentle with my husband who's leaving his underwear on the floor, whatever it is. I can be gentle with my family. I can be gentle with my friends. Because God has an agenda. Uh, agenda. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I was reading this week, one of the phrases he was known as was velvet steel, which I like that. It'd be cool to be known for that, right? Like there's Brian, he is velvet steel. He knows when to stand firm. He knows when to stand up. He knows what to stand on, but he does so in such a way that loves other people. It's gentle, but it's firm. I think Jesus lived that way. The next one is this, open to reason. Are you open to reason? Another translation for this, open to reason, was actually the word compliance. Which, I can't really think of a word that Americans would hate less, or hate more, than, than compliance, right? Anybody like, yeah, I, I woke up this morning going, how can I be more compliant today, right? How can I just do what people want me to do, or whatever? But that's literally what the, like, open to reason, like, like the posture of your heart is, I'm good with that. Sure. Let's talk, let's, let's figure it out. Let's, let's work it out. That's the posture of someone who's wise. It's like, they're trying to figure out a way to make it work, right? Someone who's, who's wise, they have great conversations. Being open to reason is somebody who's like, maybe I don't know everything about that situation. Maybe that person I'm looking down on, there's more to the story. Maybe I should ask some questions. And so, listen, hey, don't miss this today, church. If there's one assignment I can give everybody in the room, it's to ask these questions. Next time there's tension between you and somebody else, or you're trying to figure something out, or you're, you're angry at somebody, use these words. Help me understand. Wouldn't we do so much better if all the church just said, help me understand to the world? Because we, we do really great tossing grenades, truth grenades at people that do things in the world. We say, well, the Bible says, and we throw that at them. But the thing is, they don't believe the Bible. So good for you that the Bible says. But maybe they have a reason that they're going through whatever it is that they're going through. And, and if you just simply gained understanding, you would know how to love them. Do you know you can't love people without understanding them? That it's not a one-size-fits-all love? If you look at the way that Jesus loved the religious and the prostitute, he treated them a little differently. Did you see that? And so everybody needs a different path to loving them. So be careful just saying, well, just launch the verse or launch this. This is how, I mean, somebody who is open to reason is like, help me understand you so that I can love you and then I'll know how to bring truth into your life at the right time in the right way. 
Does that make sense? Let's be that kind of church. Next one is this, merciful. Jesus is quick to forgive. Amen to that. He is merciful. He's quick to let things go. It's actually unwise to not forgive somebody. In fact, I, was, I don't know if you know this, we have uh, daily devotions that we text out every single day. You can sign up for those on our website. But I was just filming one about, about judgment and, and this idea that, like, Jesus talks about this, like, if you want to be judged, just judge others. Like, when you judge others, you're literally saying, God, would you judge me more? I would love a little more judgment in my life. That's what we're doing when we judge others. To be merciful, to be quick to forgive, to quick to, to move on, quick to offer, offer people just a, a little bit more opportunity and to lean into them. The next is fruitful. Heavenly wisdom actually pr- produces fruit. Jesus talks a lot about this. I am the vine, you're the branches, right? That whole thing. Like, like he who abides in me bears much fruit. Yep, I heard a little bit. So you can, you can talk back in church. It's okay. It's okay. So, so, so he who abides in me bears much fruit. So if you want to have a fruitful life, Live by heavenly wisdom. This helps you to keep, keep from spinning your wheels. I mean, a fruitful life is not a busy life, necessarily. A fruitful life isn't necessarily that you reach all of your financial goals or that you get everything done that you want to get, get done. And, and I'll tell you, I am, I'm the worst when it comes to this because when there's a project to get done, I get tunnel vision. Anybody else? Like, like I can't think about anything else. I got to work on this thing that's right in my face. And, and honestly, I just want to get things done without necessarily being fruitful. James is saying, hey, when you grow in heavenly wisdom, you're not just getting busy, you're actually getting things done for for a heavenly impact. Heavenly wisdom is impartial. It's impartial. In other words, heavenly wisdom says love everybody. Love everyone, right? We're not holding back the way we love others. We're not not wavering from that. We're going to love people for who they are, where they are. This idea of impartiality is to be of one mind towards people. We just, we love, we get everybody dignity and value because they are humans made in the image of God. That's it. End of the story. So we are impartial. Treat people with love. And the last one is this. Heavenly wisdom is sincere. And I love that James ended with this. This is really key for us as a church family. One of the things that we want to create as a church is that we would be an authentic community. A sincere community. Not that we are perfect, but that we're actually all on a journey. I don't know if you know this, everybody, but, but we're all still learning here. We're all still figuring this out. And so to be sincere is just to be where you are. Just to, to be honest about where you are. This is the opposite of hypocrisy, which is why most of our non-Christian friends criticize the church because they would say Christians are all hypocrites, right? But again, The thing that makes us a hypocrite is not the fact that we have sin in our life or that we make mistakes. It's the fact that we don't admit it. Does that make sense? Like, that's what makes us hypocrites. But people who are just in need of grace, it turns out that it's not, you know, the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick, right? So, so we need grace. We need Jesus. And what makes us into hypocrites by the world standard is not that we're imperfect. It's that we are liars sometimes. And so James is like, hey, if you want to be wise, be really honest about yourself. Don't be a hypocrite. Again, Jesus, he was all of these things. He was the embodiment of wisdom, of heavenly wisdom on earth. And yet one thing we know about Jesus is that he was considered a fool by the religious of his day, which should give us some hope, right? I mean, I mean, just think about that for a minute. 
If hurting, lost people love you and religious people think you're a fool, you might be following Jesus. But if hurting, lost people hate you and religious people want to follow you, you might have some questions about your wisdom, right? And so Jesus says this, or not Jesus, uh, Paul says this about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1. He says the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. Does that make, do you get that? So like to the world around us, the gospel is foolishness. But for those who have tasted it, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works. And most powerful, powerfully, as it turns out, it is written, I love this, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. Isn't that beautiful? Like, like I'm going to take everything that looks wise in the world and show you that it's foolishness, and I'm going to show you the things that the world thinks is foolish, and I'm going to show you that that's wisdom. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. I mean, just think, I was just wrestling with this this week, and I'm like, yeah, probably the most foolish thing anybody could do would be to die for a world full of sinners that hate you. That seems like from the world's standards, the, the, the most foolish thing you could ever do, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did because he has heavenly wisdom. And ultimately, heavenly wisdom lives by the law of love. So really, that's, that's the root of it. Are you wise? Who's wise among you? Well, who loves the best? You want to find somebody to give you advice? Go find somebody that loves really, really well. And I was thinking about all this, just this perspective on our lives. And for me, I, I, get, I stand up here every week and I just I open, open the Word of God. We just we keep coming back to the Scriptures and saying, what does God's Word say about this? And I really desperately want for people to hear the Gospel. But as I've grown up in, in, in life, I've been in ministry for 18 years now, what God has taught me, and, and believe it or not, it took a long time to learn this, is that I am not God's gift to the church. The church is God's gift to me. Like, you're a gift to me. I, I'm, it's a blessing to share the gospel. So, like, the more I grow, the more I learn, the smaller I feel, which is beautiful, isn't it? Like, that's how it, that's how it is. You, the more humble you get, the, more, the smaller you start to feel. And I read this quote this week that just hit me in the heart. It says, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Something about that sparked hope in my heart. Something about that just was beautiful. This idea that, like, again, I know my days are numbered that my life is not about me, that life is really hard. I know, I know these things, and so my job, what, what ultimately is a life well lived? It's a life where I just preach the gospel, and I let God do the work that only God can do in people's lives. So if you want to grab your uh, insert here for a second, or bulletin, I guess we call it a bulletin, we've got these uh, action steps on the bottom, and if you're new to ACF, we just do this every week to help us to take a step forward and you can drop this in the basket on the way out and uh, we're not going to spam you we're just going to send you one text to encourage you to take a, take a next step with this this week to remind you that's all it is but we want to be moving forward as a church and not playing games and so maybe your first step is to say yes to following Jesus if that's you would you check that box we want to celebrate with you and every single week we want to give you a chance to, to make that first move and say, hey, I haven't actually surrendered my heart to Christ. And that, that, that grace thing you talk about, Brian, I'd like to receive that. God wants to give that to you abundantly today. So if that's you, check that box, would you? Maybe you want to embrace the five truths this week. Did those speak to you? Maybe there's one of them. 
So this week, you're just going to try to try to embrace those realities and live in wisdom because of that. Maybe you need to identify where you're living by worldly wisdom. Is there something you're doing right now that makes sense to all of your friends that don't follow Jesus, but your Christian friends are like, you're blowing it, bro. I, you should look at that and be honest about it for a minute. And maybe for you, you're going to be willing to look foolish to follow Jesus. Some of you might know exactly what you need to do today. God's being very clear with your heart. And as I'm talking, you know exactly what it is. You keep trying to ignore it, but it's something that could look a little foolish to others, but it's something God is asking you to do. So just try it. Just try it. That's wisdom. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, again, in the next few moments, if God is speaking to your heart, just whatever he's saying to you, I'm going to be up front here. And if you want to get baptized, I'd love to baptize you. Um, If today's your day to take that next step, just encourage you to go back to the table and we'll get you all set up. So would you stand up? Let's pray and let's worship together. God, we are just so grateful for your grace. And as we all look at our lives, God, I see a whole slew of bad decisions. Decisions not made by heavenly wisdom, but by earthly wisdom. And Father, I just want to confess to you that um, many times I wake up in the morning and I just question, do I really want want to follow you? So God, I pray that for all of us as ACF Church, as a family, God, that we would be known for wisdom. God, even in our moments of doubt, that you would give us the courage and the strength to step forward in faith. God, to live lives that look foolish to others. God, I pray we'd seek a wisdom not just to get ahead in this world, God, but because death is not the end. Father, I pray for our city. I pray for Eagle River, for Anchorage, for the other churches in our community, God, that you would continue to use them to share the gospel. People are so hurting. And God, we're running fast. It's summertime. We're doing a lot of things. And As fall comes into view, God, we know that we're going to be left with ourselves and just considering our lives. And so, God, I pray as we slow down coming into this fall that, Father, you would convict us of our sin, that you would lead us into the hope that comes by the blood of Jesus. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.